Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 4 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews. If you're new to Calvary, you know, we study through the Bible. Uh, and we study, our goal is to study the entire Bible. Uh, and we're going to do it verse-by-verse, word-by-word, really, verse-by-verse, and chapters at a time, all the way through. And now we're in the book of Hebrews. We're in our 17th study now in the book of Hebrews, when we started there at chapter 1, verse 1. And now today we begin a new chapter in chapter 4. Notice with me in chapter 3, verse 19. It says, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Now, the book of Hebrews written to a group of Jewish believers. All of the believers really in the first century in Jerusalem were Jewish. The gospel was given to us by Jesus Christ who was Jewish using the Old Testament scriptures. And so their background, their cultural and religious background is in Judaism. The formalism of what we call today the Old Covenant uh, that's contained in the Old Testament. And they had the Old Covenant and the Old Testament is all teaching and pointing toward Jesus Christ. And this is a group of people who embrace Jesus as the promised Messiah. But remember, they're struggling. They're struggling with the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ and they miss what they left behind. And it was a great cost for them to follow Jesus Christ because they would lose their family, they'd lose their possessions, they would lose their sense of formality and now they would be living not, for, not in a formal religious way, but now they're living in the fullness of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so this letter is written to warn them not to go back. Don't go back. Or you could just say, you could say that the banner over the book of Hebrews is, don't leave Jesus. You have all that you've ever wanted in him. Now going backward and walking in circles, backsliding, doing your own thing, going your own way, living a life of disobedience, wandering around, and choosing to harden your heart, as we learned last week, they all lead to restlessness. They do the exact opposite of what people think it'll do. They think that by doing your own thing and making your own decisions and wandering around that you're gonna have a true rest and peace. But we're learning that all of these things lead to restlessness and discouragement and frustration. Remember the promise of Jesus Christ to you today as well as to them then is rest. The promise is rest. And with all the activity and action surrounding our lives and our culture, the one thing that seems to be so elusive for people is rest. Even among followers of Jesus. Some of you have found it very elusive to find true rest, to relax, and to have a calm, restful relationship with Jesus Christ in a world filled with turmoil. 
And I have to say, a lot of lives have been ruined, utterly ruined, as they've sought after sources of rest. Lives have been destroyed by looking for this rest. Alcohol companies promise it. Drugs claim to give it. Commercials are constantly trying to show us and point us in the direction of where we can find rest, but nothing in this world ever delivers true, peaceful rest. Nothing. It might desensitize you from the feelings for a few moments. It might distract you from thinking about the realities, but only Jesus promises true rest You can jot it down in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus himself invites the restless to him. He says, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John's gospel, I think it was in chapter 14, Jesus says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. There's a peace and a rest that's only found in Jesus Christ. The hearers of this letter have found true peace, but now they're again restless because of their choices. Remember, we've learned that a hardened heart is the result of a choice. He says in chapter 3, we're told, don't harden your hearts. We're told not to harden our hearts. It's a choice that we make. And the way to the pathway to the heart of a man or a woman is actually through the mind, what we think on. And so hardened hearts were tied together with unbelief. Unbelief, a lack of faith, is another way of looking at it in the Bible. Be careful that you don't respond to God in unbelief and as a result, harden your heart. And the way that you believe is gonna dictate the way you behave. There's just no other way around it. The way that you believe and what you believe moves your life in action. And the way to your heart is to your mind. What will you believe? Will you believe the truth or will you believe a lie? Will you believe the truth or will you believe a lie? Because the greatest error that has ever been made on the earth today was made by both Adam and Eve in them believing a lie. Because when you believe a lie, you act on the lie. And it's just constantly so many things being thrown at us that contradict God's word, which is the source of truth. And when we start believing lies, we make horrible, horrible decisions. And so we learn that there's a rest and a comfort and a fulfillment in your relationship with Jesus. Again, notice verse one of chapter four. He says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word rest and write next to it calm or calmness. Or even this word can also reflect being refreshed, a refreshment. That's the promise of God. And it's so lacking in the world today as we run in circles looking for things that are already ours. Imagine that as believers in Jesus Christ, we're looking for things that are already ours. Rest and peace is already ours. How? by faith. I believe you, God, that you say you will give me rest in this storm. I believe you, God, that when you say you promised an inner peace in the turmoil of my life, I believe you moment by moment. But we learn 
as this promise remains, verse 2, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall now enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The book of Hebrews is using the truths of the Old Testament followers of God. We often refer to them as Israel, children of Israel, Judah. That's a reference to a people of God that had a relationship with God. Today we would refer to the people of God as the church, followers of Christ. And he's using an Old Testament example that we briefly looked at last time, and we'll look at again in another study, of that nation of Israel, that group of people that were in slavery in the, in the country of Egypt under Pharaoh, that were crying out for a deliverer, to which God answered that prayer by sending them who? What was his name? Moses. Moses went as the deliverer. He got up in Pharaoh's grill and said, let my people go. Let my people go. And Pharaoh's response was to be hardened. And he was battling with Moses and battling with God. So finally he just said, go, get out of here after all of those plagues. This is all found in the book of Exodus. And as they leave, they are heading into what is known as the promised land. A land that God would give to them. A land that would be theirs by promise. It was theirs already. All they needed to do was take it. And it was at the edge at Kadesh Barnea that Moses sent in 12 of the leaders to go spy out the land. They did and came back with a bad report, 10 of them, which demoralized the people and they responded, as it says here, in unbelief. They heard the promise of God but didn't experience it because they didn't mix it. Notice it didn't profit them because they didn't mix it with faith. Listen, church. If you don't mix what you hear in Bible study all the time, what you're hearing right now, what you hear on the radio, what you hear in podcasting, if you do not mix what you hear with faith, the Word of God will not profit you. It won't profit. You won't get anything out of it. It'll just be a guy talking. And, and you go, well, you know, Ed, I get knowledge. But you see, knowledge puffs up. The intent of the Bible is not to convey knowledge so you're smart. The intent of the Bible is to convey knowledge so that your love for God will grow and you will be an agent of love on the earth today. The mandate of Jesus Christ was not to go make a bunch of smart people. The mandate of Jesus was go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples, followers of Jesus. And the intent of the Bible is to move you. You should be moved. And how is it that you're moved? Not by the persuasive words of a man, me or any other preacher, you are moved when you mix what you hear with faith. And that's profitable. That's why we'll hear this testimony quite often in our congregation where someone will visit and after about six or nine months, they'll say something along these lines. And maybe this is your testimony, but they'll say something along these lines. I've learned more in nine months in a Bible teaching church than I have my entire life in a religious-based church, you know, the church I came from. And it's not to make a church more valuable than others. That's not the point. The point is, is that the Bible is powerful. And once you start learning it and mixing it with faith, watch out. But if you just come in week after week after week and you just open up your devos, because you, know, you open your Bible in the morning, so I got to do this because you know, I got to do this. And you don't mix what you hear with faith. 
you're going to be just like the children of Israel back in Exodus, in the book of Numbers, where they just wander around, never experience what God has for them, never experience the fullness of joy, never experience the fullness of rest. And you're just built, beat up by turmoil. I mean, life is hard enough, isn't it? Life is hard enough for us to make it worse by having all the truths of the, of, of the Scripture and all the love of God and not mixing it with faith. We're just making it worse for ourselves. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say to the believers. Don't go backwards. It's going to be worse. You have everything that you have, right? You, all that you need is found in relationship with Jesus. Don't go backwards. Don't live a profitless life where you're not mixing things with faith. And it really is just a matter of what you believe. And you're going to find, as you've already seen, that throughout the book of Hebrews, the Old Testament is referenced constantly. Right here, uh, I just want you to see, again, back in chapter 3, beginning at verse 7, if you have a New King James Bible in your hand, you're going to notice that the letters are italicized. Do you guys see that? Chapter 3, about verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. Do you see that? That's the, that's the translator's... Uh, effort to show you that this is a quotation from the Old Testament. And you might even have a little subnote there that what's quoted in chapter 3 is Psalm 95. And so you can go back to Psalm 95, and that's what a cross-reference is. You can go back to Psalm 95 and see that David wrote this. And the Old Testament's important. And it, it, it really discourages me, truly. I, I really get discouraged when I hear many churches say today that the Old Testament isn't for today. We don't need to study the Old Testament. We're New Testament Christians, you'll hear people say. And it, and it is true. We're, we are New Covenant believers. We're, we, are, we, we are no longer relating to God by our works. And no, never have we should. Never should we have ever done that. Uh, we're New Covenant. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives us of all of our sins, removes all guilt and shame and condemnation. Yes, yes, yes. But that doesn't mean we ignore the Old Testament. You'll never understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. You'll never understand, like, like, for example, for those that might be listening right now, you're listening on the radio or listen, watching online, you're like, well, that's our church. We don't, we, I heard my pastor say we don't need the Old Testament. Okay, so let me ask you this. When Jesus was discipling the 12, and when he was teaching the Pharisees and rebuking them, and all the crowds gathered to him, what was he using? The Old Testament. There was no New Testament at that time. It wasn't written yet. It was being lived, but it wasn't being written. Jesus used the Old Testament. When Paul the Apostle was teaching the gospel, when Peter was teaching on the day of Pentecost, and he stood up and began, what did he share from the Old Testament? He went back to Joel. He said, look, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it's what Joel predicted. And it's a very, very important church that you don't just turn your back on the Old Testament. Because I know it can be difficult at times to read the Bible. I realize that. I know you're coming through some of the section. You go, man, I don't understand that. But, but I want to encourage you. Don't throw away your Bible reading because you come, against, come up against a few things you don't understand. There are things. I mean, I think about it in my own life. I've been studying the Bible for almost 30 years now. And I still come across things and I'm like, wow, that's an interesting thing. I, I've, never, I've never seen that before. I wonder what that means. And, you know, just, just not even a few weeks ago, Marie and I were at a conference, and one of the teachers said something, and it prompted a question in Marie's mind that she asked me on our way back to the hotel, and then it became a big conversation. Like, I don't know if you guys have, when I mean big conversation, it was, it was very animated, you know, because Marie can get upset sometimes. Not me, but Marie can get upset sometimes. <laughs> 
So it's a very animated conversation about the Bible. And so what about this? And what about this? And we're trying to make, we've always been that way. I love that girl so much, man. But boy, can she, pray for me. And, and the, question, the question was so good, I had never thought of it that way. So check this out. David Guzik, he's a Bible scholar. Into the, so we got to take him to dinner before the airport yesterday. Marie and I, David and his wife. And so wouldn't you know it, Marie wanted somebody to be on her side. And so I didn't know she was doing this. I didn't know she was, so she raises the question at the table. And I'm telling you right now, inside I'm smiling because I'm like, he's totally going to agree. In my mind, he's totally going to agree with me. He's totally going to see it my way. As he begins to answer, everything goes into slow motion (laughs) because he's beginning to agree with her. And he gives the answer, but in his answer, he actually says something that reaffirms me. So I jump in and I go, wait a minute, wait. And it became so, at any rate, I was right. (laughs) Biblically, I was right. Even convincing David Guzik. But here's the point. You're always going to come up against things you don't understand. That's just part of it. You don't throw away the Old Testament because there's some difficulties. Because once you grasp the understanding of the Bible in its entirety, it's an amazing revelation of God's love for you. Amazing. Beyond what you could even understand. I know how hard it can be, you know, especially when you begin in the beginning of the year and you want to read through the Bible, right? So you got a plan and you read through Genesis. You go, this is awesome. I love it. I understand. And you get through Exodus and you go, oh, yes, this is great. I'm so glad I started. Honey, I read the Bible. I'm reading the Bible. Leviticus, I'm done. And so my encouragement to you is it's okay to skip over hard parts. It's okay to just read through it and even if you don't understand it. Because some of you get frustrated because you're just that kind of person that isn't satisfied unless you understand everything. So if you don't understand it, don't be so frustrated. Just write. Maybe get a journal, a little notebook, and just write down, I don't understand this. Don't understand this. Some great Bible difficulty books out there uh, where they answer questions. There's some great websites that can answer. So so don't, don't dismiss the Old Testament. Don't. Don't, don't. Even if big name pastors that have churches of hundreds of thousands of people begin to say, oh, you don't need the Old Testament, they're wrong. It's the whole Bible for the whole believer. All of it is inspired by God, not just a little bit. As we study through the Old Testament, we begin to understand the unveiling of the will of God progressively. We grasp the overall theme of God's word. Those of you that were with us when we studied through the book of Revelation, you know you can't understand Revelation without understanding the symbolism from the Old Testament. As John was on the island of Patmos, he was steeped in the Old Testament. They were all, all of the believers were steeped and we must be too. And you know by now as a pastor, you know as we walk through this journey together, my heart and my desire why we moved to Colorado, why we're involved in this church And why we love this city and we invest so much in this city is that I I desire for you to be well-fed biblically, like, like the Word of God would just feed you well, that you would be so nourished, so loved, so cared for, that your love of Jesus and your knowledge of His will would move you and mobilize you to reach this city the same way you've been reached. Like, that's our commitment. That, that is what we, our team here, our staff, the volunteer leaders, the lay leaders, the servants, that's, that's what we desire. We desire for you to grow in God's grace. We desire for you to grow in his love. We desire, and so the mechanism and the tool that God has given us to do that is the Bible, all of it. 
from Genesis to Revelation. And it's my prayer that your appetite for God's word would only increase, not decrease. And that you would continue to be hungry for what God has to say. The more of the word of God that you get in you, the stronger you'll become. The better prepared you'll be. The more ready for what's up ahead. As I read and study the Old Testament, as we see here this reference going backwards, and we'll see a few more references in this section. The more I read the Old Testament, I'm reminded not to follow the, example, the bad examples that are there. When they did not believe, that's not a good example for me. I must choose to believe, even with little facts or, you know, if I don't have the big picture. Because I, I'm one of those guys that I refer to, that I like to understand things. I like to grasp things. I like to figure things out, if you will. But so much in life can't be figured out. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. And that's a frustrating thing to someone that wants to understand everything, that wants answers for everything, that believes that with every question there should be an answer, like a real good solid answer, like really specific and precise. And at times God gives us that. But in the times that he doesn't, our life is not built on facts. Our life is built on faith. And our faith is built on facts. And we are able to know that God, God has given us all that we need to know in order to relate to him and to trust him. So when you hear, coming back to Hebrews now, when you hear the word of God, Old Testament or New Testament, you've got to understand the only way it's going to profit you is by mixing it with faith. To believe what God has said and to do it. Because unbelief will keep you from all that God has for you and desires for your life. Unbelief will keep you from all that God has for you. Unbelief begins when I no longer look at the faithfulness and reliability of God and I only look at myself. That's unbelief. Unbelief is, it happens when I hear a lie and I accept it even though the Bible says something opposite. Unbelief begins when I see my own weaknesses and I focus on my own failures and I see my own inabilities and I get afraid and anxious. When I believe that everything relies upon me and my resources, and when I failed, I forget the grace of God and the mercy of God, and I get caught up in my own emotions, and then we get caught up in our own thinking, and we begin to, we have all the resources that are available to us. You know, it's, it's sort of like when we moved to Colorado, this is not what we had in California. Like, it's a different way of life here, and one of the things that was different for us is that um, we had a house with a garage, first of all, and, and we had a freezer. We, one of the first things we did was buy a freezer for the garage. Imagine that. Never thought of that in my whole life. Never, my, my parents didn't do it. I didn't do it, but when we moved here, it was like, man, get a freezer. Why? I don't know. It was just part of the package. Just get a freezer. And so we bought a freezer, like one of the first things we did, we bought a freezer, put it in the garage. It was empty for so long. It's like, what are we supposed to do with the freezer? But then I found out wintertime stinks. And so you gotta have food in there, you gotta have food. And when those are my kids were growing up, the boys, man, they just, they could eat, they could empty that freezer in a day. They were so, they just ate, they never stopped eating. I don't know where it all went. And so, okay, we have stuff in the freezer now, you know, we Costco, we put stuff in the freezer. And it would be like being in the kitchen and going, oh, we're so hungry. Oh, we're so hungry. And just sitting there at the, what's going on? What's happening, Marie? We have no food. It's in the freezer. Oh, it's no, we're hungry. I have no food. It's in the freezer. And I never go to the garage and get the food. And by the way, since we're talking about Marie, 
she's not here, so it's all right. <clears throat> she was here last night, and I was much kinder last night, but I'm not going to say it. All that God has for you, you just got to get it. Just respond. Just accept. Your life isn't dependent upon your resources and your unfaithfulness and your mistakes. It's not all your inability. That God is greater than all of those things. He's faithful. One of my most favorite verses, and it's become a life verse, especially in the last five years or so in my life. It's become a life verse. It's almost replaced Proverbs chapter 3 in my life. But it's in Timothy where Paul tells Timothy, even when we are faithless, God, he remains faithful because he won't deny himself. So even in the wanderings that are in your heart right now and the difficulties that you brought into this room and the battle that you have in your mind right now with receiving the word of God and believing it because your circumstances are very difficult and the issues in your life are very real, the diagnosis of the doctor, the child that doesn't want to follow God, the bill that is going to be on the table when you get home, the need to move and have to vacate your house and move some, all of that is real and it's a battle in life's, it, it's, it reminds me of, of just facing the storm that the disciples did with Jesus being there asleep. You think God's asleep and it causes you not to believe and lack of belief means you're not going to profit from the word of God. You're not going to profit from what God has for you. As things get so bad, you begin to think that God doesn't love you anymore and doesn't bless you, that, that, you'll, that you'll never experience his rest, that you'll never have what's being taught today, that you'll never be good enough. You know, I yelled at my kids. I, I was mad on I-25. I didn't do my devos this week, so God certainly doesn't bless me and doesn't care. And yet th with that attitude, you have no faith. You're not mixing with God. The, the, you're not mixing with what you've heard, that, that, there, that God, I believe you in what you said, and I trust you even when I don't feel it even when I don't experience it, even when I live contrary to it. The essence of the warning is mix what you hear by faith and enter in. It's not dependent upon your performance, but upon the grace of God. And he, God gives rest because he loves you and sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It's yours. It's in the freezer, man. Just go get it. Take it. It's all stocked up and ready for you to receive. Verse 4. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. So he, he's going to walk you down a path. And it starts in Genesis when God rested from his creative work. Okay, keep that in mind. Then the second one, the second rest that's mentioned is right at the, at the border of the promised land when they don't enter in. Okay, and verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter in, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day saying in David, today, after such a long time as it's been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua, that's literal Joshua from the book of Joshua, the one that ends up leading people into the promised land, if he had given them true rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God 
For he who has entered his rest has also himself ceased from his works as God did from his. So again, this is a complicated argument that's being made by the author to make a point for people that understand the Old Testament. That's really what he's saying. He says, remember back in the creation when God was creating, he rested there. But that rest wasn't a rest from from work. It was a rest of completion. Everything was done. And so God rested. He didn't stop working. He just rested because his, his work was done in that particular area. So God still worked today, but at the creative time in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that he rested. Then... David writes in verse 7. Now, don't you find it interesting that David writes that the Old Testament is referred to something that David wrote. David wrote it. But we also learn in verse 7 of chapter 3 that therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So Psalm 95 is referred to as authored by the Holy Spirit and also authored by David. Remember, because the author of the Bible is God. God wrote the Bible. If anybody ever asks you, who wrote the Bible? The answer is God. God wrote the Bible. And he used human beings as the instruments to write it all down. But the Bible is inspired by God. We believe in something called the plenary inspiration of God. We believe that the Bible is God's truth. We don't believe simply that the Bible contains God's truth. Because people that believe that say this, that they say, because it sounds, it sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, I believe the Bible contains truth. That sounds pretty good, but the problem with that is, is that if you're, the, if you're the one that determines what's true and not true, then the Bible has no effect. So it is true that the Bible contains truth, but we believe a step higher than that, and that is the Bible is truth. All of it. That's what the word plenary means. All of the Bible. And so David wrote of another rest, So you go, what's the big deal? Okay, Genesis, God's resting from creation. The promise of rest to the children of Israel, they didn't enter in. Joshua led a generation in, and yet after Joshua led the people of God into the promised land, David says a few thousand years later, there's still a rest. And this is the point that he's making. The point is very simple for them. Of all the things that you learned of rest in the Old Testament, it wasn't fulfilled until Messiah came. That's the source of real rest. And the argument that he's making is simply this. You have the promised rest that no one else before you got to enjoy. That's all he's saying. And he's using the, element, the, the true stories of the Old Testament to show him, to show the, the readers and to show you. Like, for example, what would he say to us today? He would say, how, how would this be for us today? Look, if you're into religious religion, it's not going to be the rest that you think is from God. If you go home today and kind of drown your sorrows in the bottle, I'm not going to give you the rest of God. If you think the next relationship is really going to satisfy, I'm not going to be. You think that promotion that they promise you're going to find out about this week is going to give you the rest, I'm not going to happen. You're not going to get the rest that you're looking for because there's still a rest that remains of all the activity. And everything you're doing to attempt to receive a peace of mind and rest is only found in the rest that Jesus Christ promises. That's the essence of our time today. True rest is found in Jesus alone. The rest of completion. The, the rest of the finished work of Jesus Christ. 
In verse 9, it says, therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. After all of his activity, there was still a perfect rest, and that's the rest of forgiveness, the rest of faith. It's so hard, isn't it, to rest in faith? It's so hard to rest in a, ter- in, a top, in, a, in a life filled with turmoil and difficulty. It would be easier if God just showed me what he was doing, right? Don't you want, wouldn't it be just easier if God showed, I mean, if God told me, you know, Ed, in, in five and a half years, that's when I'm going to fix it, but you're going to, it's going to be hard for five and a half years. I, I kind of think that that would help me. It actually wouldn't help me. It would make me really nervous and anxious for five and a half years to come. So what does God do? Just trust me today in the moment, son. Yeah, but aren't you going to explain to me? No, I want you to trust me now. Yeah, but aren't you going to? No, I'm not. And if you keep it up, I'm not going to share less with you. And things are going to get, I'm going to allow things to get harder. You go, oh, that's not nice. Yeah, but I'm teaching you something, son. I'm teaching you how to trust me. I'm teaching you what it means to surrender your life to me in greater ways. And church, there remains a rest for you. Don't go backwards. Don't wander around. Trust in the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. Where on the cross, in his final breaths, Jesus declares, it is finished. And I just sense today that you, some, you know, perhaps one, but I think a few more than one, are so anxious. You're so worried. And I know you don't want to be there. It's not like that's the choice of your life. That you want to be so worried about what's happening right now and so concerned about the future and so upset about the current circumstances. And I just want to acknowledge to you, as hard as that is, it doesn't remove the love of God from you. There's a compassion, I think, that God has for our weaknesses of our flesh. We all have them. Like, it might be different. You, you might be here today, well, it has nothing to do with me because I'm not an anxious person. Well, you've got other issues that separate you from a good, fruitful relationship with God. But I just feel a burden for the anxious today because the rest that God promises is found in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it doesn't make sense, does it? Because we trust God for the biggest issue in our life the salvation of our soul and the forgiveness of sin. And he delivered so many of us. I can look at my life. I was sharing my testimony with somebody after the service last night. Like, God saved me. There is no question. Zero question. God saved my soul, rescued me, rescued my marriage, rescued my family. Absolutely. But I'm worried about this? Yes. Because my eyes are no longer on the high, glorious, sufficient, finished work of Jesus Christ. I'm on myself, and I'm a poor savior. Did you know that? I'm a horrible savior. I can't save anybody, but my God, who sent his son Jesus Christ, he's my savior, and he is the savior, not a savior. He is the savior, where he would come to you and me today. He would get down right on our level as if we were little children, and he'd get down on his knees to us. He'd look us in the eye, and he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no one's going to get to the father but through me so come unto me all you who are weary and heavy laden and i will give you rest and so father as we spend a little bit of time responding and reflecting on this i pray for an outpouring of your spirit upon us today i pray god that there would be a sense of receiving your rest by faith that we would mix what we've heard today with 
faith and that we would believe you and we would trust you. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you right now to repent of your sins and to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That you just know in your own language that your life is not right with God and it needs to be. I want to give you a chance to make it right, to verbally communicate your love for God and your desire to follow Him. And so if that's you, you'd say, Ed, I need to get my life right with God. Would you just stand to your feet right now that we could pray with you? This is also, like, this time is like known as a time of invitation. An invitation not to a church or to a pastor, but an invitation for you to surrender your life to God who loves you and send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And so, if that's you today, we don't want to leave here without that opportunity. I know we, we finished a little early, by the way, church, so don't leave because we've got a couple songs with Pastor Mike. He's going to, so we can reflect and have our faith built up in song before we go. So don't leave because we got some extra time, okay? I did it on purpose. Is there anyone here that would say, I need to get my life right with God? Would you just stand? I want to pray with you that today would be the day. And I always forget you guys downstairs, so I'm not forgetting you. I don't see you, but, but I know that God will see you if you respond in the overflow room or in the cafe or watching online right now or on the radio. God bless you over here on the side. Who else would say, that's me? Like, today's the day. Just like the Bible says, today. It's not tomorrow and it can't be yesterday, but the work of God in your life. God bless you in the back. such a high and holy moment in your life that God would draw you to himself and so just just ask God whether you're here in the room or out there um, just ask God say God I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of my sins I thank you for sending Jesus to die for me and to come back to life to save my soul. And so today I confess my belief in you. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Help me, God, to turn away from my sinful past and to turn my life towards you. And Father, I know anyone, anywhere that would pray to you, you receive them. And I just pray it's real and legit and the beginning of something great and grand in their life, just like it was for us when we believed whether it was at a little, as a small little kiddo or as an adult, you are moving on the earth today and lives are still being changed. And so God, would you pour out your spirit in a powerful way as we reflect and just minister to the anxious and minister to our hearts, Lord, that we might trust you, mixing with faith what we've heard today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.